Hello and welcome to Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman. My name is Jackson Heyman, but I am a Jackson Heyman from a parallel universe where I spelled the word recommended correctly on Facebook. <laughs> yes, this is me outing myself that I cannot spell. Um, welcome to this episode. Um, we are discussing parallel universes, but I am joined by someone from our universe, one of my favorite people to talk comic books with, one Cole Conrad. Hello, Cole. Hello. Hey, how's it going, buddy? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm glad you know how to spell recommended. <laughs> uh, not if, if you go look at the Facebook page. Uh, no, I don't. Um, no one noticed. Uh, <laughs> two C's, two M's. Who cares? That's so uh, funny. Funny, funny anecdote about because like earlier, like we were having a discussion about like, how do we advertise this thing? And I was thinking about this and I was like, oh, there are like local comic stores around my area that have like bulletin boards that people just post things all the time. I should make like posters. But hmm. then I looked at the spelling mistakes and I was like, oh, I, I, I started to get super, super self-conscious because I was like, oh no, I don't want people to think I can't spell. I don't want to just hang up these posters with like misspelled things. <laughs> And send him to me. I'll I'll be your editor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cole. Um, Cole, could you tell the audience a bit about your experience with comic books and all this superhero stuff? Yeah. So, um, I think for me, it probably started with Batman the Animated Series, um, and. Also, reruns of the 60s Batman show, which, as a kid, you don't understand is a joke. You don't understand that it's camp. I remember being so excited every time there was a cliffhanger, and they were like, tune in next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, You know, we talked about this a bit in the episode that comes out, that came out before this, um... Which hasn't come out yet, but we uh, we talked about the Killing Joke. It was Ooh. we talked to the Killing Joke, and near the end we had a very mu a very good discussion about like how you want Batman portrayed. And mm. I am very much in the camp that I think the Tim Burton original '89 Batman film is probably one of like the best portrayals of that universe because I like how campy it is. I like how it leans bit a bit into both the campiness and how dark and serious it can get sometimes. And but I think the 60s Batman series is like a close second for me, tied with like the Batman the Brave and the Bold animated <sighs> series from like the late 2000s. Yeah. I yeah. Because I am a fake Batman fan and <laughs> I have not I can't believe I'm admitting this on the air. On the air. I have not watched uh, Batman the Animated Series. Oh, it's really, really good. It's one of those that, like, it it just defined what Batman was for so many people and for, like, an entire generation. But I don't think you're, like, I don't think you're a fake Batman fan <laughs> if you hadn't seen it. It's just, it's a treasure trove of Batman for you to discover. Absolutely. And I'm excited that you as an adult get to like go and experience it for the first time. Absolutely. Me being born like a couple of years after it had gotten, gone off the air, mm. I just like didn't get the chance to experience it. But now like, you know, streaming services and 
the corporate the corporal um monopolization of media in America did one good thing. Now you can easily access old cartoons from before you were born. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> nothing else. Nothing bad. Nothing else. Um but yeah, cuz like I my biggest like animated um exposure to DC comics specifically was I mean, technically, in, like, the same camp, I, because I watched the Justice League show growing, all, mm -hmm. like, the Bruce Timm stuff growing up all the time, and, like, that was, like, my favorite iteration of that team for the longest mm -hmm. time. Yeah, same here. Um, uh, so, it was, it was definitely Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, which, like, I just saw here and there, uh, the Spider-Man animated Ooh. series from the 90s, which is yep. so good. Again, something um, I want to go back to. And as a kid who, like, couldn't afford comics or just couldn't wrap my head around comics, I was really shaped by the, the, animated, the animated stuff. Um, so that Justice League show, all those Justice League movies they came out with, and then Justice League Unlimited. Justice oh League Unlimited. Oh my gosh, that show's so good. Justice League Unlimited. How can I explain how much I love that show? Because I think you and me are in the same camp where we like shows that focus on the expansion of a universe and do a lot of world building justice league unlimited does that because mm -hmm. every new episode you're meeting a different character you're meeting a different corner of this universe and you're like yeah oh my god i i know who that is i like that's my favorite guy mm -hmm. and it did such a good job of so like i grew up I still do, but I absolutely loved Star Wars. So anytime anything else referenced Star Wars, I was like, Star Wars, oh my God. Ugh. And it like took my attention away. But that show does a great job of like referencing other like things that you know about better, like Batman or Superman or whatever, and having them be a part of it that's satisfying, but also introducing you to these new characters and letting you fall in love with them. That So it's not just like Batman shows up and now it's all about Batman. Yeah. Well, because that is where I I specifically remember Booster Gold showing up in one episode. And, yeah. you know, something about something about that episode clicked in me for the rest of my life. And now Booster Gold is my favorite character of all time. He is... I love that funky little capitalist so much. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Um, where to begin? Uh, we are talking um, JLA, The Nail, um, written and drawn by Alan Davis, with art with inks by Mark Farmer, uh, released in 1998. And this is an Elseworlds story. Um, Cole, do you want to take take the reins and talk about what an Elseworlds is? Sure. Yeah. Um, from uh, like officially from DC. In Elseworlds, heroes are taken from their usual settings and put into strange times and places, some that have existed or might have existed, and others that can't, couldn't, or shouldn't exist. This is one of them. Yes, I think that is such a great way to talk about the multiverse and other universes, because, like, we, we are seeing a lot of, like, multiverse stuff right now in the year 2022. Um, mm -hmm. We are getting a lot of adaptations with the multiverse and with other timelines all around, like, the central what-if question. And, like, I think a lot of these DC Elseworlds stories specifically 
tended to hone in on, like, a simple what-if, at least in, like, the 90s era of, like, where this story was released specifically. Because we also get stuff like, I know this is a few years later, but, like, Superman Red Sun comes in with that what-if Kal-El's rocket landed in Soviet Russia instead mm -hmm. of 60s Kansas. And then yeah. things like, you know, Batman Red Rain. What if Batman was a vampire? And things like that. And it's just very fun, like, little what-if questions that can, like, go in extremely different directions from, like, mainline continuity. Mm -hmm. And thinking about all the, the little repercussions that happen from, well, in Superman Red Sun, well, now he's going to be used for the Russian army and... That's especially scary thinking about what's happening right now yeah. <laughs> with Russia and the Ukraine. Yeah. Um, I mean, imagine if Superman was part of the Russian army. I don't want to get too heavy with everything, but I mean, there's just so many repercussions, not just for like the DC characters, but for the world. And that's, yeah. it's such a fun thing to set up to explore. I, w I want a quick tangent about Superman Red Sun real quick. Because sure. I think it has one of the most interesting endings of an Elseworlds story. I don't know. I actually if I... haven't read it. I just know of it. Okay. Do you? Are you okay with me spoil spoiling it? Quick. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> the story focuses more on Lex Luthor as like a politician trying to like help the United States, Whoa. and um, it, like this is Cold War. U.S. So, like, it's very much his interpretation of that. Okay. But, like, he is a scientist who develops a couple of different um, options to deal with, like, the Soviet Superman. And one of them is uh, the Bizarro clones. Um, one of them involves a military test pilot who found an alien ring. And they mass manufacture a bunch of Green Lantern rings. What? So... There is, like, an American Green Lantern Corps that basically storms Russia. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> this, he, this isn't one of Lex Luthor's plans, but there is a Russian Batman who has, like, a hat. <laughs> Instead of a cowl and ears, it's he like, just has a hat? Well, it's, it's like, the, cow, it's the cowl and, like, the, the classic, like, fuzzy hat with the muffs is built into that. Here, I found it. Here is a picture of... The Batman of Superman Red Sun. Oh my god. <laughs> that is hilarious. It takes a it has a lot of fun with like I mean, you know, it's a very heavy handed subject, written uh -huh. by a writer who I don't think usually handles heavy handed stuff well all mm. the time, Mark Millar. I think okay. he is very divisive in my opinion, but that is a story for a different time. Okay. But um, uh, it's it's a very, like, fun what if, and I didn't even get to the ending. The ending basically ends with, it, it ends with Luthor, well, he doesn't beat Superman, but Superman basically sees all, like, the horrors he helped rot and sort of just, like, steps down and just oh. flies off into space. I think I might be misrem misremembering that, but, um, but then... The entire world sort of becomes a utopia under Lex Luthor. And for years and centuries and centuries, it begins to evolve. And 
people start to take different last names. And we see a family, the L family, just the single initial L, mm. at the very end of this planet's life. And it's a very futuristic society, and these descendants of Luthor have a baby and realize that the planet is about to explode. Oh my god. And they've been developing time travel technology and send their baby back in time and and he lands in Smallville, Kansas. Whoa! It, is, it goes... It... <laughs> I read that book when I was 15. It okay. broke my brain. Yeah. <laughs> dealt so much with time travel <laughs> that I was like, oh my god. Th I did not see it ending like that. Yeah. Wow, that's such a weird meta ending. Yeah, very much so. But you know, that's not the what if question we're talking about with the nail. Right. The nail um is it's a mu it's much more simpler. What if there mm. was a nail lodged in the tire of the Kent's truck as they mm. were going out for a drive one day and so they just decided to stay in. But that was the day that a rocket landed in Kansas not too far from them. So the basic premise is uh what if Superman was never adopted by the Kents? What if he never became a superhero? How would the world look if that was the case? Right. Um, and there's this great, <clears throat> um, this great quotation. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the knight was lost. For want of a knight, the battle was lost. So it was a kingdom was lost, all for the want of a nail. And that's from George Herbert from the uh, Jaculia, I don't know how to say this pronunciation, Jacula Prudentum? What is 1651. that? 1651. So I looked it up. Um, it is, let me scroll down in my notes here. It's a compendium that collected folk sayings um, from, in England during the 17th century. And George Herbert was a monk. And then a scholar, he was like, I'm going to be a monk. And then he was like, eh, the monk life isn't for me, but I'm still going to go around and collect all these sayings in England. So that's huh. just something that people said. Like, ah, well, if you don't have this one little thing, think about how that's going to affect everything else to get your job done, I assume. A, a very British opening by a very British writer. Because I feel like we should talk about Alan Davis quick before we get into the meat of this. Um, yeah, take it away. I yeah, don't know Alan Davis. <laughs> um, actually, so I don't know much about him. Um, okay. He's done a lot of work with Marvel. Um, he was the um, he was the main artist and later primary writer of Excalibur, which was like the British X Men spinoff series that featured um, Captain Britain, Nightcrawler. Kitty Pride, Rachel Summers, and a bunch of other characters, and it was very British, is what I heard. Is what I've heard. I it's been it's one of those series that I really want to read, but I haven't had the chance. Apparently, it's very British. I don't know anything about like Marvel UK stuff or Captain Britain. I know it gets weird, and that's yeah. what kind of scares me. Okay. But uh, later, he came over to DC and did a couple of things like this and just wrote a had a few runs on various series but he is primarily like a writer artist so 
everything you're seeing here is him. It's all him with um, inks and colors by, a th by I think, a few specific people. Um, ink. So I've got the issue I, right here. The inker is Mark Farmer, and the colorist is Patricia Mul Mulvihill. Shout out to <laughs> yeah. this wonderful team who made some really good artwork, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like classic superhero artwork and it's really like it's really well styled um there's these beautiful sla uh, splash pages mm -hmm. um like just the full page of heroes doing something awesome i started to really look forward to them as i was reading through yeah it it's the general vibe of um of <laughs> general vibe general vibe <laughs> <laughs> of um of what like comics were like for DC in the in the like the late '90s, I think, and I think that because like I I've been bouncing back and forth and back and forth about like what is my favorite like era of comics in terms hmm. of like tone and artwork and stories, and I think it might be like this late '90s, early 2000s er era for DC specifically because like it's less of like the early 90s extreme super everyone's buff everyone's got pouches mm. um everything's sleek everything's stylized everything's colorful yeah and i think because i also need to point out um grant morrison and howard porter's jla run which was running at this exact same time which mm. is like that definitive justice league run that like brings back the core seven of okay. of these characters that would later like serve as like one of the main inspirations team wise for the animated series and stuff. And up until like new 52 with them, bring, with them replacing Martian Manhunter with cyborg, like that was the definitive team of like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the flash, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter and Aquaman. Um, and it's a great team. It's a great era. Um, Everyone should go read it. It's that is my favorite like classic JLA run, not my favorite Justice League. Um, shout out to the Justice League International, uh, the best the best version of the Justice League. Um, no fights. I will not fight anyone on that. <laughs> so I sh I should point out I am not as big of a comics historian as you are. So you are saying some really deep cuts for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So quick tangent. Um. The Justice League International is, like, that late 80s era of the League where, like, none of, like, these characters were involved except Batman. But okay. Batman was there, like, the stern uncle figure. He very much did not want to be there, but he was there to, like, wrangle these new era of characters. So it was, like, Booster Gold, um, Blue Beetle, the Ted Cord Blue Beetle, um, Shazam, um... Ooh. Black Canary, the Martian Manhunter was also there, um, and then people from, like, other nations, like, the characters of, like, Fire and Ice, uh, Rocket Red from the, from, like, the, Ru Rocket Red is basically a Russian Iron Man. That is, that is his hmm. whole deal. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then, um, other characters that showed soda, and it's kind of also, oh, and the asshole Green Lantern, Guy Gardner. Oh, Guy Gardner. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's favorite, Guy, Guy Gardner. They, oh my gosh, in like the early 2000s, they put him in so much. Like, he was in Justice League Unlimited a lot. He was in uh, Brave and the Bold. And I was always like, why are you putting this guy in here? He sucks. 
but there was like a famous series of panels from that run where Batman knocks out Guy Gardner in one punch, and that sort of defines that era. Uh, it's also it's called like the Bwahaha era because it was very much comedy focused. Okay. And so like you get things like Booster Gold and Blue Beetle just doing get rich quick schemes all the time. Um, <laughs> you find out the Martian Manhunter has a secret love of Oreos, and that gets the. That's referenced in Sandman. Yeah, yeah. So that oh. is where that comes from. Thank you, Keith That's Giffen. Awesome. Thank you, J.M. DiMatteis. Thank you, everyone involved in that. Back to the nail. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, <clears throat> we're, we are, you know, we get on tangents a lot here. I, you know, it's fun. It's fun. Um, but so the nail sort of presents a world where Superman does not exist. Where the Justice League is primarily made up of metahumans who don't really share their identities with the public. Yeah. Um, you want me to go into my summary here? Or? Absolutely. Just let's let's jump into it. Let's do a quickly a quick abridged summary. Cool. Thirty three years ago, John and Martha Kent find that a nail has punctured their tire, keeping them from finding baby Kal-El's rocket. Fast forward to the present, anti metahuman sentiment is growing due to a coordinated hate campaign between the media and Metropolis Mayor Lex Luthor. As the heroes of the Justice League discuss how best to counter the hate campaign, Batman is called away to an emergency at Arkham Asylum. Meanwhile, other superhero teams, including the Doom Patrol and the Outsiders, experience coordinated attacks from government agents and metahumans alike. Green Lantern discovers a force field around the planet, cutting them off from the rest of the galaxy. At Arkham, Batman arrives to find his rogues gallery brawling to amuse Joker, who has broken them out, and who uses a powerful gauntlet to hold Bruce powerless as he tortures then kills Robin and Batgirl. When he breaks free, Batman kills Joker while the world watches. I think that is like a perfect place we can discuss like this issue here and sort of move on. As yeah. We... But like, this is a very different Earth from the one we are familiar with. It is very mm-hmm. much like a... It's a lot like the Marvel Earth, I think. Like, it is, it's a world where superhumans and people with powers are more likely to be feared and not trusted rather than respected. And, like... Like, it's always that thing of, like, Marvel heroes are the people you end up relating to a lot. But, su- mm-hmm. but the DC heroes are the ones you want to relate to, the ones you really look up to. Like, mm. they're very much like paragons of everything they stand for. And yeah. here, they're, here, that's not that. They, they argue a lot. They really, they disagree. None of them have shared their secret identities with each other. It is mm-hmm. a Justice League that doesn't trust each other, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have anyone there to really unite them and stand as their ideal. It's it, it's more of, well, we have these powers, so we better put them to good use, and this is, like, the most effective way to do that. Exactly. There is a quote later, um, later in the series. Oh, I'm trying to find it. <clears throat> the League formed to fight injustice more effectively. That's all mm. we have in common. Yeah. And it is, and it is very much like... We are not friends. We are co-workers. Yeah. That's that's the vibe here. It's a group of co-workers that don't hang out on the weekends. Definitely. And there are friend groups or people who are closer sort of within the league. But 
but they, yeah, they definitely don't have that unification of, they're not people who want to be around each other. That's, that's exactly what it is. I think so much of that comes from the presence of Superman and specifically a Superman raised by John and Martha Kent. Mm. Because it, it comes in later just how important the Kents are to everything. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But, <laughs> but like, um, we see a world that doesn't trust anyone. And you have a lot of anti-metahuman propaganda propagated by Lex Luthor, by Perry White, who's, like, now, like, the head of, like, a big global news station. Mm-hmm. And by Oliver Queen, who... In this universe is a right-wing pundit. Pundit. <laughs> well, he wasn't always. He wasn't always, but well, that he should be pointed out. <laughs> he, he, uh, the story of Oliver Queen in this universe is he gets extremely injured during a fight with Amazo, like this robot who can replicate every member of the League's powers. And then he is left paralyzed. I think he's losing an arm and an eye. Yeah. And he is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he is, he's losing some, he's losing, I believe, a limb and an eye, and he's... Yeah, yeah, he's wearing an eye patch and he's missing an arm. Yes. <clears throat> and he is, he has basically turned completely against the Justice League. Now he is spreading, he is spreading the belief that they are alien invaders. All they're here to do is conquer. Which I think is a very interesting point, because, like, without... No one in the League is seen as human here. Everyone thinks they're all aliens, or at least from other places that are going to conquer us. Because, like, you get a lot of, like, how Hawkwoman is from an alien world, um, Hal Jordan represents a a police force of intergalactic beings... Aquaman keeps saying he's the king of Atlantis, but but who knows what that's all about. Uh, right. Diana is from Themyscira. Uh, no one knows the Batman's deal. Everyone right. thinks he's an alien or, or a demon or something, but yeah. no one knows the truth that, like, he's actually human. The, everyone thinks these people are not like them. And mm-hmm. that's another thing I think losing Superman brings to this where he like you lose that sense of belief that these people are like everyone else um i was uh i was listening to a different podcast um that was talking about uh some comic book art and i can't remember who it was that said it but that um if you draw a face that's slightly obscured people will relate to it more Whereas if you draw a face that's like very detailed, it's like that's an individual. And I think that kind of works into Superman's role, like representing superheroes. Yeah. Because, he, I mean, he looks like a regular old white guy. Yeah. And Which for, for so much of history has been kind of the default. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense that in this like very Trumpian America... It's, that he it's, would that he would be like uh oh okay like superheroes are like us yeah yeah it is very much an an america 
that we know all too well. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a very interesting departure from Oliver Queen's like normal, um, anti-fascist. Um, I'm gonna go punch cops. Uh, I yeah. am. I will fight for everyone, regardless of who they are. I'm. It's not. That's not this Oliver Queen. I miss mm-hmm. that Oliver Queen. <laughs> yeah, I, definitely. I miss extremely hyper leftist Ol- Oliver Queen. <laughs> um, I don't like angry right wing pundit Ol- pundit Oliver Queen. No, he's bad, and he makes me sad. <laughs> it makes it makes you think. Like it makes you wonder why people like black canary still care about him at this point and like i know their love transcends everything they are the perfect couple but i she her role in this is basically she's leading the outsiders at this point which a fun team of characters you don't ever really see i love the outsiders but um but she's leading them at this point and she says explicitly like she formed them to help ollie to help, yeah. like, him realize that, you know, superheroes aren't all that bad, but that even then he was still against it. Right. Yeah, he's really lost his way. Yeah. In in too many ways. <clears throat> in, so, in so many ways. But there is another fun detail when it comes to, like, the media's perception of the superheroes. Like, because Hal Jordan has, the like, the bright idea to, like, hire a publicist basically, to help yeah. the Justice League, like, get back in the good graces of the public. And that publicist is Lois Lane, which right. I think is the perfect way to work her in, just like making Perry White a newscaster is the perfect way to work him in. They work the Daily Planet crew into this book really well, even though Superman is not around. Yeah, the whole we'll, story is really well crafted. We'll get to the third member of the Daily Planet crew later. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but um, um what, what else did I have about this first issue? Um uh, well, I like I I think this Batman, at least the Batman we see in issue 1 is almost like a self-parody of Batman, if you get what I, if you sort of get what I mean, because mm. it's very much like all it hits all the marks of like what everyone thinks Batman's all about, like the crazy loner who only cares about like beating up criminals and doesn't want to do anything else. Like everyone else is trying to think of like other ways to get the get the league back and like the public's good graces, and he's just like, wish we. I'm so I love your Batman voice. <laughs> and, and Batman's and Batman's just like we should be kicking the asses of the criminals. Yeah. It it's I think I was thinking about this as you were talking before about the lack of Superman and what it does to the league. They've kind of all become Batman. Yeah. Because like in the league normally in in real DC universe, Batman's just like I don't I'll be here because it's helpful and I have something to give, but I'm not really, I don't really want to be a part of the team. And so everyone is kind of like that, which just forces Batman like further into Batman territory. (laughs) If everyone is Batman, Batman must become more Batman. (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're absolutely right. Like everyone only cares about like doing the superhero job. 
no one cares about like helping people and yeah and i think that and there's the question brought up of like why should we help them i think that is like the biggest arc for hawkwoman throughout this entire thing because she loses her husband she loses hawkman in the fight with amazo that that brutally wounded green arrow mm -hmm. and she's like no one cared about him when he died right yeah and, and so why should i care about them if they don't care about my sacrifices that's that's basically the central theme of this like why do what you do in a world that doesn't trust you or doesn't care about you doing the things you do and like I, I wanted to come to bat back to Batman for a second because like the f the phrase "you are your own worst enemy" gets uttered a lot in this first issue specifically about Batman, but I think mm -hmm. it can sort of apply to everyone here. The League is their own worst enemy at this point. They are completely self destructive. Um, divide and conquer gets thrown around a lot. You see. Mm them all try to do their own specific, like, find their own specific solutions, but none of them are working together, and it always yeah. ends up bad for them. Right. It's They don't even bother telling each other, like, hey, I'm going to go look into this. Flash and Adam just are like, yeah, we're going to go investigate this inventor guy, who I don't remember that character's name. But they're like, yeah, we'll look into this guy and, and we'll just go together. And it's like, well, you're part of a team. Yeah. And this is a challenge your team is facing. Be friends. Be... <laughs> I was reading this and I was just shouting like, like each other, please. <laughs> <laughs> and then because you get a lot of like, no one trusts Wonder Woman because she's like fraternizing with politicians all the time. Right, which is funny because other than than Lantern bringing in um, bringing in uh, um, Lois, like Diana's the only one doing anything to like help the perception of the league. Literally, and and I think maybe in context now it's like how can you not manage your social media profile you know literally um, like if... but like back then it probably made a lot more sense of like well why should we do that we'll just like keep doing what we're doing and yeah and let people see people. what they see and hope that's the good things but in batman's case it's not <laughs> that's right i want to know how you feel about that moment i i, I think we have to discuss the Batman killing the Joker moment. Yeah. So, um, I kind of breezed over everything in my summary, but, um, the Joker is given these like gauntlets that shoot out energy and can do a bunch of like magical technical stuff. Um, and so he like puts the force field around Bruce so that he can't move. And then he just, I guess, electrocutes um robin and batgirl to death i guess there's and... a lot of murder in this book yeah there's You're... i haven't noticed that you're right <laughs> there's a lot of murder here like i'm i'm running back through everything we've covered on the podcast so far i think this has of everything we've talked about i think this has the highest body count wow 
Yeah. Congratulations, Cole. I'm that guest. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, so they they do a very good thing where they don't show the Joker murdering Batgirl and Robin. Like, it happens off-panel. And all you can do is watch the single tear on Bruce Wayne's face mm-hmm. as it happens. And the way they... There's something specifically about the way Alan Davis draws his eyes yeah. that they're just like bulging out of his head and he's just like, I can't do anything to save my, my, like the only family I have. So, and it's, it's just heartbreaking. It's very heartbreaking. I think, cause I think this, this draws a lot of parallels to the death of Jason Todd, I think. Mm just a way more brutal and with double the victims. But I think it, I, with this Batman in this universe, I can't, I I don't like the fact that he kills the Joker, but I understand why. I think this is a universe again, without Superman. So like that relationship is not there. That sense of morality isn't there and i'm sure this batman had like the no killing rule still i don't Mm. think this is the i think this is the first time he's ever killed one of his enemies but in a moment of extreme trauma like this and brutal violence i don't support it but i understand it if that makes sense at all no i i agree and i think something else to consider it is that this is a Batman who has experienced more loss than <clears throat> than Batman in in the regular continuity because it's just like kind of an offhanded line. But uh, Harvey Bullock is commissioner because because yeah. Jim Gordon died Jim in the Gordon's line of dead. service. Yeah, um, so he doesn't have that anchor, that moral anchor as well. Um, Wow, this uh, makes me realize that Ben Affleck as Batman would be really good. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Like, you know, <clears throat> thinking about it, we were robbed, but, you know, he's done with it. He said he's done with it. He said it was a bad experience for him. And, you know, as long as Ben's okay. I don't know. What, right. I don't care about Ben Affleck's personal life, but I hope he's doing okay. Yeah, but he'd be great in this. <laughs> oh, he he would be he would be a really good Batman for this. I, um, we'll talk about that later. But I I think like that could be a possible possibility. Um, and I I think this is also the first. I think this is Dick Grayson Robin specifically. Is it they? There's a lot of people who they because they haven't shared their secret identities with each other like. I assume this is Barry Allen, but I don't know. If it's I would Barry assume, Allen. like I, I would say so because, like, I don't think it doesn't seem like there's much of a sidekick presence here yet. I feel like this is like a JLA that has been around for a couple of years, but mm. hasn't really taken off in terms of like legacy and sidekicks. Like, I think it seems like the only people that have joined up with one with a member of the JLA are. Dick Grayson and Barbara Barbara Gordon. I think they are the only two who decided to do this and then paid the price. Yeah, horribly. And um, back to uh, Batman killing Joker. 
I, I agree with you. It's not justified, but man, is the art beautiful there. It's Just incredible. the silhouette of, of Batman holding Joker um, in, in front of all those flames. He looks monstrous, yeah. and it is so cool. I, I Back to, like, all of the... I think it comes back to... Back to the killing joke, um, like, everyone will hear in a week from when we're recording this. But (laughs) it's the one bad day ideology that the Joker, like, presents in that story of, like, one bad day can make a person break completely. And if you look at the day that this Batman has had, it is the worst day of his life. Absolutely. Second worst, maybe. Uh, but yeah, uh, he murders the Joker on live television, and the whole world watches. Yeah. What and happens in just... issue two, Cole? Well, in issue two, <clears throat> it begins with Lois Lane visiting her old friend, Jimmy Olsen, who is now running Lex Luthor's mayoral administration. As she arrives, there's a failed attack on Luthor's life which spurs Olsen to take Lois to the secret facility in Kansas where they house the metahumans they imprison. Once there, she witnesses the horrible conditions the captured heroes are under and is given a tip by one of the scientists to visit the Kent farm for the truth. And it's a very... In, well, we'll get to the truth in a second, but um, I I think this... It really shows, like the extent of like this anti metahuman like effort in in the DC in this version of the DC universe because there we come back to this imprisonment facility multiple times and we mm-hmm. see a lot of characters we mm-hmm. see a lot of people imprisoned we see uh, uh, uh firestorms there animal man is just hanging out in a cell and then because they capture the doom patrol they capture the outsiders like, everyone is brought to this facility. Most of the League gets brought here eventually. Oh my god, I forgot to talk about something in issue one. That's okay, I did too. <laughs> um, okay, um, your thing first. Okay, so the second page of the book is this two-page splash. I'll hold it up so you can look. Yes. And it's complete with a... A rally for Mayor Lex Luthor, complete with a crowd holding anti-alien signs. Ugh. And on the sides, there are, like, police in full DC futuristic riot gear with oh, automatic my... rifles. Ugh. Like, and not, like, our rifles, like, future DC rifles. <laughs> like, they probably shoot lasers and stuff. Ugh. So then we get that. And then in this issue, we get Lois entering Metropolis, and it's like a check-in point. It is. It's like, it looks like what Trump wanted at Ugh. the Mexican border. Yeah. Like, you have to go in, and there's a guard who asks, like, do you have any weapons on you, and all that kind of stuff. It, I mean, it does a really good job of building up just how scary and this fasc- metropolis fascistic. is. It's, this is a fascist metropolis. Absolutely. So, question for you, then. Did Luther's political career hindered or helped by the presence of Superman? Because you could make an argument for both. Because, yes, he is the mayor of this proto-fascistic metropolis. And it's working and people believe him. 
But, you know, he did become president in the main DC continuity. <laughs> well, there are um, lots of signs for people uh, like the it, one um, one person in the uh, crowd for his uh, for his rally has a like vote Luther, Mayor Luther for president. So it's def he's definitely on that path. He's on the up and up. He is for sure making his way to the top of the political scale. Uh, and he didn't even have to be on a reality TV show. No. <laughs> uh, but the thing I but wanted to overall, talk about... I, I think you're right. I think Superman does help him because yes. it gives him a specific object well, to, technically, to throw I all think, of his stuff I think on. Batman kind of... Because I've, I've been working my way through the uh, No Man's Land storyline of Batman comics oh. right now. Because I wanted to like read the first appearances of Cassandra Kane, who is my favorite Batgirl, who is one of the best Bat family characters. Um, stay tuned for that. Something in 2023. I already have planned. <laughs> um, but um, the whole thing about that is like it's a massive disaster that basically separates Gotham from the rest of the country, and in the end, it is Luthor who helps out and oh, offers really? a ton of money even though it was all a scam for like beachfront property or something oh my god but um but his like massive publicized donation to help the people of gotham is sort of what kickstarts his political campaign oh wow huh you know i don't want to talk about a lex luther presidency right now we're just getting over that. <laughs> We're going to skip over that. Um, my thing that I want to talk about in the first issue is what the Martian Manhunter man does. <laughs> because there's a point There's a point where he, he's flying with uh, Diana, I think. And they're like yeah. talking about, like, what is the best option here? And Jean, Jean's choice here is to be like, I will retire from the public eye until this issue is resolved. And he turns invisible and flies away. <laughs> and it, it's just like, I didn't even know you could do that, man. But good on you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I will appreciate any any solution where the any any storyline where the solution is. I'll go fuck off and just hide until this is all over. <laughs> yeah that's a good point i didn't know he could turn invisible either but i guess i mean so he's a shapeshifter yeah so i guess i just assumed he could just that i don't know that kind of fits in like chameleon he's a martian powers he's a martian yeah but uh issue it's a martian two, thing yeah issue two we get a more of that like divide and conquer sort of thing everyone's like doing their own thing to like solve this mystery um this is where i think ray palmer goes and like investigates someone's lab and like mm -hmm. gets attacked by like microscopic like antivirus software or something. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Flash is just running around the world to like check out yeah. villains super secret societies. Yeah. And he ends with Ra's al Ghul who is like being attacked by the I forget what they're called the the super robots oh yeah or the liberators or whatever they're called I think like yeah that's what they are yes um we do also get a uh, Batman here who is extremely shaken um mm -hmm. he is 
not catatonic, but like nonverbal and just extremely traumatized about what had happened. Like we get a few scenes of Catwoman and Alfred just trying to help him out. And a weird moment where Catwoman dresses up in the Robin costume. And I was like, um, okay. What's the only thing that's going to snap him out of it? Because he'll see Robin and and wake up as they're thinking. Yeah, I, I get I get the, the reasoning behind it. I just think it's very strange. But, all, <laughs> but you do you. Um, and then we also see that, like, Earth appears to be blocked off from the rest of the galaxy by this massive force field. And no one in space is coming because... Uh, the Green Lanterns are off dealing with uh, a war between Apocalypse and New Genesis, which is a plot point that doesn't really go anywhere because, like, all the Green Lanterns sort of just like fuck off to to the new to deal with the new gods, and then yeah. at the very end of the story, they all come show up to Earth and are like, "Hey, what did we miss?" <laughs> so I w- in my research, I found that there's actually a sequel to this. Yes, I did see um, that, and apparently that. I don't know if they do if it happens concurrently with the the first book, um, or if they just like do a flashback. But they they handle some of that in the sequel. And okay. Tell us about what that is. And apparently, Alan Davis in an interview said that he thinks he has one more nail story. Really? That he'd like to tell you. Yeah. Uh, he said it would be called the final nail. Okay. Yeah. I'm interested. I. I didn't get the chance to read the um, the sequel, but I am extremely um, interested in what that what that deals with. But um, yeah. we we also get it, it does touch every corner of the DCU, and that is like I I really like that. I like how expansive this feels, like because we do get a scene with the Outsiders, we get a scene with the Doom Patrol, who you know I've been watching. After I, I did say I, on a previous episode that I would start watching more of the Doom Patrol and finally catch up. It's so good. Doom Patrol HBO Max. Everyone go watch it. It's so good. Um, I didn't expect. Um, I didn't expect uh, Matt Bomer to sing Kelly Clarkson on a sentient street. But what? Wait, what? <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna explain that. <laughs> um, That's awesome. It's so okay. good. Um, but <laughs> so, so this leads me in, I'm oh, sorry, you finished yeah, no, your thought. No, no. What were you going to say? This leads me into something I want to mention because of, um, I can't remember what guest you were talking to. Um, but they had been, they were asking you like, so does Gotham, is Gotham New York or is there New York and is there Gotham? Yes. Um, and I think something that people might not know if they just like jump into reading DC is that DC is just wild and weird. Mm -hmm. The reason that a lot of the DC films haven't done as well or haven't been quite up to the standard of the Marvel films is because they're trying to be the Marvel films. Yes. DC fails when it tries to be Marvel. Yep. Um, There's this wonderful um, uh, comics historian named, I think his name is Joshua Unruh. And he said, um, the difference between Marvel and DC is scale. If there's a big intergalactic war in Marvel, it's going to take up the next 10 to 15 years of everything building up. And then it's going to be one, you know, 
climactic event. Yeah. In DC, if there's a war between sentient colors and the fifth dimension, that's a Tuesday. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I think like DC is way more expansive in the intergalactic and the occult, I think. Mm-hmm. I think because I know we are both big fans of a lot of the Vertigo stuff, too. And, like, a lot of people don't realize that stuff like the Sandman and uh, Doom Patrol and Animal Man, which are some of my favorite comic runs of all time, the, the Vertigo-specific runs, um, touch on so much of, like, the mainline DC universe, too. Like, I remember, because I've been finally making my way through Sandman. and. So I was so surprised when, like, the demon Etrigan shows up in the yeah. first, like, trade. And I was like, oh, my God, it's my guy. It's my mm-hmm. dude. It's my it's my boy Etrigan. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sandman is written by my boy, Neil Gaiman. Um, and I don't want to go on too big of a Neil tangent. But he's he just has, like, such an encyclopedic knowledge of DC up to... I mean, I don't know if he still keeps up with things. But things that he read as a kid and, like... The 60s and the 70s, so much of that is woven into Sandman so well. I, I, I would also want to shout out Grant Morrison, who is my favorite comic writer, too, um, because they do a lot of the same stuff. They, um, if you look at Final Crisis, and I know a lot oh, of people... them, isn't it? Yeah, I know, I, I know a lot of people don't want to look at Final Crisis because it is... It is a convoluted mess, but it is a beautiful convoluted mess. Um, it draws from everything. It draws from every little bit of continuity from the DCU. There is a char- There are two villains in it that haven't shown up in that hadn't shown up in comics since the seventies. That is how far back it goes. Um, wow. It like there is a specific character, the Human Flame, who shows up at one point. <laughs> and it, and like his whole deal is he wants to kill the Martian Manhunter, and that comes Fuck. back. Through, that goes back to a story where he fought the Martian Manhunter in the '60s and never made any other appearances until Final Crisis. <laughs> He's uh, just been biding his time. <laughs> yes, exactly. The Human Flame for forty will wait. years. Uh, but then the Multiversity <laughs> does a lot of that too, which is like Morrison's big proto sequel to Final Crisis because it focuses on a lot of the same ideas and Morrison's strange appreciation for characters like Captain Carrot and the zoo crew. <laughs> Wait, you don't know about... Captain Carrot Captain and Carrot. the zoo crew. Captain that, Carrot sounds, zoo... that sounds like a morning radio show. Yeah. It's Captain Carrot and the zoo crew. <laughs> but, but well, I, not to talk too much about Captain Carrot, but like it's <laughs> like that stuff is like DC's equivalent to like the spider ham stuff. Okay. Where it's very much, it's not the same characters, but it's like funny animal characters in superhero outfits. And a lot of writer, there is something that was out recently where like the, the team from, uh, from like the end of final crisis and the multiversity, which features like captain carrot, uh, the Calvin Ellis president, Superman, that wonderful iteration of an alternate universe, Superman. Um, and various other characters, like, they have come back, and no, I don't think anyone touches on weird pieces of continuity like Morrison or Gaiman. You need that, like, encyclopedic knowledge of 
everything to make to make the stuff that they do work. Sure. Um, and speaking of touching on lots of different parts of the universe, one of the things I really like about the nail is that obviously we've already talked about you get the Doom Patrol, you get the Outsiders, um, but you also get all the magician characters in at, right at the beginning of issue three. That's right. And it's so cool. They're That's all like, right. we've got to do something. And I fucking love Dead Man. I, I remember I, I only know Dead Man from an episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold, but I fell in love with him. He's so cool. Batman, ba Dead Man is such a fun character who needs more love. I think, I think like that concept of like, um, a soul who died but is able to use like ancient techniques to come back is so fun um because there's also because etrigan also shows up in that scene dr fate is there um the specter shows up who is what a character too too much to talk about with the specter right now yeah my biggest criticism of this is that Z zatanna doesn't show Z up yeah why is zatanna not there why why is she not there she is just as important to the Justice League as the Atom. Um, literally. And she's she's a magician character. Like, if you didn't want to put her in the main lineup, like, th she should definitely be here. Yeah. I I don't know. But there is one last thing we need to talk about with issue two, which is, like, mm. the truth. Which is oh, the reveal right. that John and Martha Kent are running a safe house for metahumans. And so you... S the, the scene that introduces that element is Lois Lane walks in on, like, Beast Boy and the Elongated Man having breakfast. <laughs> right. And it's just, I'm like, I love this. I, it's such a sweet scene. Yes. Yes. It's, it's so... It's, it's what the Justice League should be. Yes. Yeah, it's just them being buddies. They should be buddies. Um, it's the Kents. It is the influence of Mon Pa Kent on everyone. Um... You should always, uh, exactly. Um, um, but then issue three, if you want to get into your summary of that. Yeah, so this one, this one gets a little lengthy. <clears throat> so the media mudraking campaign continues as Wonder Woman is framed for a terrorist attack which destroys the White House. She is then ambushed and captured by the Liberator robots. Um, elsewhere, Lois uh, meets the Kents who are harboring escaped metahumans. Um, and they tell her that while Luther started the experiments, he is no longer in control. Flash, Lantern, and Adam break into the superhuman prison to rescue the captives. And as they are about to be caught, they are saved by Batman and Catwoman, who survived their ordeal at Arkham Asylum. Meanwhile, Lois has gone to Metropolis and discovers that the mastermind who has really been pulling the strings is none other than the true villain of Superman, Jimmy Olsen! Yes! <laughs> He reveals that LexCorp found the Kryptonian pod without an occupant and used its technology to build advanced weapons, the planetary force field, and clones. After genetic grafting of Kryptonian DNA, Olsen has become truly Kryptonian and will turn Earth into new Krypton. His authoritarian... Uh, that's a really hard word to say, sorry. His authoritarianism has already neutralized all beings on Earth capable of stopping him. He flies to the facility with Lois in tow to easily defeat all members of the League but Batman, who is armed with the Kryptonian gauntlet the Joker used. The fight takes them over the Kansas countryside, landing them on an Amish farm, where a young farmer stops Olsen from killing Bruce, telling his parents that he can no longer hold to their codes of non-intervention. 
He is, of course, Kal-El. Okay, so where do we start with this? I think we need to start with the super robots, because the Liberators, okay. um, they are... Well, they are not the first androids that show up uh, to arrest Lois Lane. Um, they are The first androids that show up are the Metal Men, a.k.a. Oh, right. one of my favorite random teams in DC Comics. I just think they're so fun. I love the Metal Men. It's exactly what it sounds like, everyone. <laughs> they're all different metals. Again, a group of characters that the animated shows introduced me to, and I was like... Who are these little funky people? I love them. <laughs> but because then it's revealed that the Liberators are not like robots at all. They are clones. Right. I forgot. They're just wearing helmets, right? Yeah, they're clones wearing helmets. They're clones of like using the Kryptonian DNA, but they're Bizarro. They're Bizarro clones, basically. And any any Superman story that brings Bizarro back is really good, in my opinion, because Bizarro is like my favorite Superman villain just because of how fun he is. Like it's like, I don't like evil clone stories most of the time, but when they're like this much opposite, this is, this, this is when it's good. This is when it's great. Yeah. It's a really fun, it, it's just another one of those little, like not quite Easter eggs because it's not like it's hidden, but it's like, Oh, that was a really nice touch. Like it's bizarro, but it's not the bizarro we know. Like, it, a lot of these Easter eggs and stuff, it's like, you didn't have to make this plot point this exact plot point, but I'm so glad you did. Because mm -hmm. then, um, what, what, what happens next? Oh, yeah. Um, so the Jimmy Olsen reveal, I, I love it. I, I think that any story that gives Jimmy Olsen more agency is beautiful. Hmm. If, even if they make him a villain, I think it's very... Seeing him, like, actually try and take a stand for himself is so interesting. Like, there is a there is a scene in this point where he's, like, fully gone full Kryptonian, and, like, somebody starts laughing, and he's like, Don't laugh! Oh, Nobody yeah. laugh! Nobody should laugh at me! You know what's really cool about that? I noticed something, um... The... So when he becomes, when he like turns into his Kryptonian form, his uh, speech bubbles are like more squared off. Yeah. They look a little bit more like, like hexagons. Um, and when he says that, it's fully round. So yeah. that's yeah. Jimmy. That's that not is, like evil is, Kryptonian Jimmy. It's like a balance between like, I think it is the, this is the balance between the id and the super ego at this mm. point. Like you have this... Kryptonian Jimmy focused on the greater good, but then you have the part of him that still thinks he's a joke and doesn't want people to laugh at him or say he's a joke or things like that. Because it's a it's nicely foreshadowed at the very beginning of the story when he's like in an interview with Perry White, because because like it goes back to like all his exploits as like these <laughs> Turtle we Man, these weirdo characters, which. You know, any Jimmy Olsen story that references his weird Silver Age transformations into other superheroes, it's so good. Um, everyone, <laughs> everyone should read um, the Jimmy Olsen miniseries that came out in 2019 to 2020 by Matt Fraction, um, writer of, like, the best Hawkeye and a lot of other great things. 
But um, mm. that whole story is about him trying to solve his own murder. And what? Yeah. So like, like That's an, so cool. <laughs> an assassination attempt happens and he's like, who do I know that hates me that much? And I'm not going to spoil it because it's a crazy twist and it's so good. But it also references his time as Turtle Boy or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, I um, So I have the uh, DC character encyclopedia. And I had... Because I read The Nails the first time and I was like 13. My yes. mom actually got it for me at a flea market. Oh, um, She came home and she's like, here, have these. So I've got the original like single issues of them. Oh my god. Um, yeah, they're really cool. The the back is is awesome. So it's it's got the quote the for want of a nail, and it's got like a rusty nail. And as the series progresses, the the bottom of the nail starts on fire, and it like catches like the background on fire as well. And by the third one, you can see that it's the Superman S underneath, like being like exposed from the fire, and it's so cool. I wish everyone could see Jackson's reaction just now. He just kind of like put his hands up and leaned back and went, whoa, whoa, ha, ha! <laughs> I, just getting progressively more excited. I, you know, we will we will put video out for these one day because <laughs> there are so many reactions I wish we could have covered, but another time. Um, right. Um, but so the only thing I knew about Jimmy um, and his weird powers was from this. So I went into my character encyclopedia and I read his his whole thing. Because, you know, I just knew him as Superman sidekick. He's the yeah. Daily Planet reporter, uh, uh, photographer. And um, it had one sentence at the end of his, like, entry. And it was like, is, um, is occasionally um, affected by... Um, mutations which give him powers which he can't really control yeah it was like that's that seems like a big character trait to just have one sentence it's i can't believe this is the second time that jimmy olsen's weird misadventures have come up on this podcast but but we all you always wonder like how does he have this clout how does he he rides on the coattails of like being superman's friend having the watch, but also, like, he goes on his own little misadventures just in the background, and, like, there, I, it's always been weird that, like, like, as a comic fan, I always, comic fan of this generation specifically, like, I've always been weirded out by the fact that, like, in the 60s and 70s, characters like Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen had their own series, because I always thought for the longest time that, they couldn't carry their own series because, like, what are they without Superman? Hmm. Uh, I was stupid and realized how, and did not realize at the time how great those characters are in their own right. You were not stupid. You were young. Yeah, young, kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Yeah, exactly. But um, there, there have been some series recently that have really brought them back into the forefront. Um, this Matt Fraction Jimmy Olsen series. Um, uh, Greg Rucka's Lois Lane series, which is like a political drama. Ooh. It's it's very much like I haven't read all of it, but the vibes that I've gotten is very much like uh, why can I not think of this movie right now? All the President's Men. Um, oh. It's very like political noir journalist sort of stuff. 
That's cool. Um, and then this is a newer series, um, Peter J. Tomasi and Patrick Gleason's uh, Superman run, which is all about like Superman and Lois being Clark and Lois being parents and having oh. a young son named John. And okay. because you get a lot of um, you get a lot of Clark and Lois being mom being parents, and that is fun. And it really fleshes out Lois as such a great mom. She is she is so fun. Um, this isn't from that series, but the Super Sons miniseries, which is Super Sons series, which is all about John and Damian, Damian Wayne. Um, oh, okay. There is some incredible moments where Lois and Alfred have to be the parents, at, and while Bruce and Clark are just like running around and like. They have they have to deal with their kids sneaking out and stuff. I would read that. It's so fun. Um, everyone should read Super Sons. Um, it is and the Tomasi Superman run. He is a writer who gets Damien and John specifically. I think. Like I didn't like either of those characters as much as I do now until I read his interpretations of them. Huh. I will definitely check that out. Yes. And. So you can cut this out if you want to. But since we're mentioning things that handle Lois really well, for all its faults, that's one of the best parts of Batman v Superman. Because it starts out with Lois like on an assignment and it gives Lois something to do. And I'm going to sound like a total nerd here, but if you watch the ultimate, the extended edition, that is actually a story through line that they edited out for the the theatrical version and Lois actually gets to be an investigative reporter and it handles Lois really well. And Amy Adams is just so good. I just so good. I will have to blindly agree with you because <laughs> I have never seen Batman versus Superman and, or Ever? the ultimate edition. And okay. I think I probably won't cut? because I have better things to do. Have you seen the Snyder Cut? Yes, I have seen the Snyder Cut. Yeah, my oh, better things right. to do are you watch said you the didn't Snyder like it. Cut. I forgot. It's so good. Oh, it's so good, Jackson. I like it for different reasons. <laughs> I like it for the CGI hot dogs and the weird chorus of Swedish girls singing as Jason Mom Jason Momoa walks into the sea wearing a sweater. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> But back to the this version of Jimmy Olsen. Yes. <laughs> um, there is a there's a line when he is fighting Amish Kal-El. Um, <laughs> and like it's very much at the end when Jimmy's like failing. We should have been friends. Yeah. Now, that we're is we're a basically line, brothers. Yeah. That is a line that hits hard. The dramatic irony in the in this book and in a lot of Elseworlds is very strong because there's a moment at the very beginning where the Kents are like, they're, they're looking at the nail and there's a panel where the, the rocket is flying over them and they're like, it's not like we had anything better to do today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I like dramatic... I am a fan of dramatic irony. I like it when characters say things and you know as a reader that that's not that's not true like yeah. this could be so different um yeah but i like what how kal-el is presented here i like amish kal-el 
<laughs> we should get a t-shirt for you that says, I like Amish Kalal. Hey, we're working... <laughs> We might be working on merch. I'm thinking. I've been thinking of merch ideas for a while now. <laughs> I, I'd wear a shirt that says "I like Amish Kalel," but me too. I don't know how many people would. If you would buy a shirt that says "I like Amish Kalel" and nothing else, please sound off. <laughs> send us an email <laughs> send us an email um mythonomical productions at gmail.com um i'm not gonna give out my personal gmail but um done we're done um <laughs> but i think um, it's a very like it's a lot of the similar things that we get from my regular continuity superman yeah story-wise too um like the whole, like, I'm going to terraform the Earth and turn it into new Krypton. Like, knowing that this was written in the 90s, I gave it a little more slack. But, like, I read that and I was like, oh, my God, I forgot that's his plan. Like, that's it's, just, that's what every single bad Kry guy does in Superman. That's <laughs> so the Kryptonian annoying. method. Like, they, <laughs> Kryptonians are colonizers and we can say that. Yeah. And colonization is bad. Yes, colonization is bad, everyone. Um... <laughs> We shouldn't support it in any way. Where were we? <laughs> um, with Jimmy being fucking evil, he uses his laser vision on Kal-El's Amish parents. He, he kills just the fucking Amish zaps them. He kills them. Like the, they introduce this nice, sweet Amish couple, and they're dead. Yeah, and so they crash into the farm. And even though they've just crashed into the farm, they're not, like, running away or anything like that. They're just like, no, son, you can't get involved. It's not our way. Good and on then, you for sticking to your morals. But yeah, you but got hit just with a laser. cuts them down in cold blood. It's awful. <laughs> it is so much murder. But then, like, Jimmy, evil Jimmy dies. And um, like going out with the with the we should have been friends line, mm. and so we have this new character that none of the league knows if they can trust, and it's Batman who, um, who how do I put this? It's Batman who is like we can trust him, and they're like, how do you know? Experience. Yeah, and like that is a very. Like you know, this is the Bruce I know. This is the this is the Bruce that this is the mainline Bruce coming through. Yeah, and then right after he says that, um, so Kal-El is is just weeping over the corpses of his his parents, and um, because Lois brings them um, with uh, Beast Boy and uh, Plastic Man. Um, uh, the I'm sorry. There. Um, I'm sorry. It's elongated man. It is. Oh, not plastic I'm sorry. Man. You're right. I couldn't remember. I was like, I'm gonna say the wrong one. <laughs> I am the biggest defender of elongated man. I <laughs> hey, I did me. I meant nothing by it. I just no. said the wrong one. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> you're good. You're good. I just. He's not plastic man. He well, is. He is. He loves his wife. He is a detective. That's that's not plastic man. <laughs> Elongated man yes. and Beast Boy bring the Kents because they're in the Kansas countryside and they probably saw all the explosions. And that just, I mean, 
That proves what great people the Kents are. They yeah. see explosions and they're like, we need to go. It is there are the people th It is the through line trouble. of this book that like the Kents will do anything they can to act and to help people. These are not these are not the Snyder Kents. These are not Kevin Costner standing hey. in front of a tornado going, <laughs> "Hey, <laughs> I'm holding the pose in the gif right now." <laughs> you Oh, okay. Have you seen Man of Steel? Yes. Okay. Steel... I was going to say you haven't even seen that movie. <laughs> Can't no, make fun of I, me. <laughs> I I'm okay. I'm indifferent towards Man of Steel, but I love that gif. I think it's an I I'm not going to go on about it, but I think it's an interesting narrative idea that what if the Kents and Superman were unsure about whether or not he could really help or he'd be rejected. And yeah. it, it's got a lot of the same story beats as The Nail. I think The Nail definitely does it better. Yeah, I think Man <clears throat> of Steel on paper could work, but in execution did not, in my opinion. Except right. for that gif. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, the Kents are great. The Kents are great. The Kents immediately go up to him and they're like, we're so sorry. I don't even think there's any dialogue. I think they just look at him like, like we feel you completely. And, and there's just like a connection there. Yeah. And they're like, we'll be whatever you need. It just with a look. Mm hmm. It's wonderful. And the book, the book ends not with like, it, it ends with like an epilogue, but specifically focused on the Kents. And yeah. that is what I think is great. Like that is, I think this isn't a, a story about any of the JLA. This is a story about people learning to trust and to be kind and genuine and actually understand that the people trying to help are doing good things because we didn't even talk about the scene with hawk girl or hawk woman oh, right when she saves the family from the burning museum or wherever it is and so she's in the museum with the uh, um uh somebody oh what's what's the word the display the display of her husband's armor um because he sacrificed himself to yep. save the city. And on the placard, someone has spray-painted alien scum. Yep. And she's about to fly away and say, you know what, I'm going back into space. I'm going to find a different place to go live. And she sees an apartment building burning as she goes to fly up into her spaceship. And she's like, I can't do it. So she flies down and she saves these kids. And the parents are like, oh my God, thank you so much. Just even before tonight, We've always known that you are a good person. We don't buy into this propaganda. Yeah. And we, you have sacrificed so much, and we recognize that your husband sacrificed as well. It is a genuine show of decency coming from a character you said specifically that you wanted to talk about. The Oh, my God. That's right. <laughs> so there's this extraordinarily touching scene, and... The guy, let me see if I can find him in the book just so I can make sure I have an accurate description of him. Oh, God. <laughs> he looks like, he looks like Jason Lee in My Name is Earl. He looks like, he's got the mustache, <laughs> he's got the long hair. Yeah, he's got a 70s haircut and a handlebar mustache. And I cannot express to you how much 
he just completely and totally looks like he stepped out of a 70s porno <laughs> and he's delivering the pizza. <laughs> he's even like, he's like, I don't even know how to describe him. Just he looks, he doesn't look like he should be a dad, but you know, <laughs> he, he simultaneously looks like he shouldn't be a dad, but also is absolutely a dad. But probably a divorced dad. He's got divorced dad energy. He definitely does. And you know what? In the one panel where he looks super porny, (laughs) like like he belongs in a porno, um, he looks different from the first time we see him. And I have to look up the actor's name. Oh, gosh. In the first time we see him, he looks like he should be played. I'm jumping to cast the comic early. Um, God, what the hell is this guy's name? Um, Burt hey, Reynolds. Burt Reynolds? He's got big Burt Reynolds energy. He does have big Burt Reynolds energy. <laughs> he absolutely does have big Burt Reynolds energy. Yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> this is a great place to transition into final thoughts. Um, I liked that. I liked it. I think it is a very nice story yeah i it does sort of like return to the status quo a bit near the end there with like superman coming up coming joining the league basically and every sort of thing sort of like coming back to kind of normal in a world where that normal never really existed right i i i don't know if i like it but i i think it's very interesting yeah, I think it's, like you said, it's not a normal that existed before, so it's not like it's a static story, Yes. but it definitely goes into all the characters and the League become better because of Superman. It's kind of like throughout the whole story, through the changes, it's making its point, and then it just kind of like finishes its point in the conclusion. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, I can I can understand how it might feel a tiny bit stale, but I think it's done really well and it feels really hopeful. Absolutely. It is a very interesting twist on these characters. And like it it's an Elseworlds story that doesn't have to go into crazy territories with um with its like what if question. Like there's no vampire Batman here. There's no um <laughs> trying to think of other Elseworlds stories. Joker isn't uh, Jack the Ripper. Yeah, Joker isn't Jack. Yeah, exactly. It's not Gotham by Gaslight. It's it's not it's not Red Sun. It's not any of those. It's not that weird one where they all lose their powers and just fuck around for a while. Where they just that one. I think it's called Act of God, where they just lose all their powers and then no one knows how what to do with themselves. So like Spider Man Two style. I think so. I don't know. I've never read it. I've just heard it's bad. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and it's not like any of this, like, dark multiverse shit that I keep bringing up. It's not, it's not, it's not any of this weird alternate, like, bad ending sort of things. It's a nice story. It is a very nice ending. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in how superheroes are our modern mythology um and there's been a lot that's said about that there's a lot of documentaries discussing that so i don't want to go on at length about that but i think 
this is definitely one of those stories that's that just proves that um and i think it's really important because um like i was saying a lot of like the authoritarianism tyranny fascism that's in this story reminds me a lot of what's happening right now um with russia invading ukraine and um a lot of the way that they spin things for the propaganda is so similar to what Putin has been saying before um, he invaded to like justify because it's just propaganda 101. And yeah, it's so it connects so back to stuff like so much that we've seen in America too, just like hate mongering and spreading these wrong beliefs. Right. And and so thinking about all of this stuff, I was like, man, like this is we're recording this March 1st. So I don't know how much bad it how much worse it's gotten by the time this is released. Yeah, this is going to come but out with, on March 24th. So we will Okay, so who knows what could happen by then. We will see where this goes. Yeah, but I was thinking about all this and like and we're going to be talking about comics, you know. Um but I think this is one of those stories that proves that we need to be able to laugh when things like this are going on. We Absolutely. need to, we need stories that shine a light on things that are serious and that happen in the world and that can do it in a way where anyone can read it and see that it's bad. Um, Cause this is the kind of thing where it doesn't matter what opinion you come from, you're going to get the message and it's our modern mythology of, we do need those heroes and those people to stand up to who can show us who we can be. And what we need to do to do the right thing. And I think I definitely recommend it. And I think it's a really fantastic story because of that. Absolutely. It's, it's a great like take on these characters that we never, that we don't see that often. I, yeah, it is. And the artwork is incredible. Um, it, the colors are so striking and like, that is something like everything Go, works perfectly to set the tone of this it's not Definitely. it's dark when it needs to be dark it's light when it needs to be light and it's a combination of the two when it needs to be that yeah because like you said there's a lot of murder in this book there but... is so much murder <laughs> but reading it you don't you don't really realize because you're just kind of like oh yeah batman killed the joker like that it's it's so justified and it's so it, yeah and it's one of those things where it, you don't even realize by the end until you talk about it with someone like that was a really high body count. It's well, it's very, it's very tasteful in the way it handles murder. Um, <laughs> it's mostly, if not always done off panel. Um, yeah. You never see any of like the, well, you see, like, I think the most graphic we ever get is Jimmy Olsen murdering the two Amish people with his laser eyes. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it commits to like the tone it wants to present here, even though it will get dark in a lot of places. Yeah. It feels very much like it feels like vibe wise. It feels like a, like one of the 80s 70s 80s superhero movies it feels it feels like the richard donner superman a bit i think in terms of like tone yeah definitely um 
And uh, one more thought on the violence is, um, I was I can't remember the name of the author I was listening to, but they were saying my books get criticized for violence, but it it doesn't. I don't necessarily have a whole lot of violence in it, but I focus on the repercussions of the violence. Yeah, and I think that this this book is very much like that. Like we don't see Batman kill the Joker, but we see. Batman holding the Joker's dead body and we see the consequences for Batman and we see the consequences um for Cal emotionally um yeah. after Jimmy kills his his Amish parents. Yeah. yeah. And I think Absolutely. that's a really important trait for a story to have. <clears throat> yeah. And now it is time to transition into our final segment um still not 100% sure on the name. We've been doing this for almost 6 months. Uh cast the comic. <laughs> Woo! I like cast the comic. I think, I, it's, a I good think name. it's nice. I didn't. I I did tangent. I did. I had casting couch list, listed on a potential name, oh, but no. the rep, the implications of that are so bad that yeah. um maybe but, comic yeah. couch. Mm, I don't know if I like that either. But <laughs> That's um, I you know it's been a busy week for me. Um, I haven't had much of a time to think about this. But I'd love to hear your thoughts, Cole. Yeah. So I just did this in the half hour before we recorded because I was like, I can't think of any actors. So I sat down with um, with my fiance and I was like, all right, name some actors. Help me out here. Um, and for Batman, I came up with Oscar Isaac. I like this choice. I think this is a great choice. Um, I... For my stuff, I'm gonna go off on a go take a lot from the um, the Justice League Mor- Mortal cast. I don't know if you heard about this. This is a oh yeah. This was the unproduced like George Miller Justice League film, mm-hmm. um, which but you know I like Oscar Isaac better than George Miller's pick because Army Hammer is a cannibal. Um, what? Oh my god, you haven't heard about the Army Hammer cannibal allegations? Oh my god. Is this we real, Jackson? Have, we don't have time to talk okay. about I will send you an article about Okay. Oh god, that's awful. But Army Hammer might be a cannibal. Oh, I like awful. Oscar Isaac better. Okay. <laughs> Sorry um, to drop that big bomb on you. No, it's okay. I that's not your fault. And that's Army Hammer's fault. Um, yeah. Oh. I like the idea of Oscar. I I know, I know he's over at Marvel now. I know he's Moon Knight. That's right. He's yeah. uh, coming out a couple of days after we release this. But yeah, um, I'm excited for him as Moon Knight. And I know a lot of people, a lot of people, s- sort of draw comparisons between the two characters. I think there's so much more depth to the, to the like the differences between the two of them. But I think he could also um, body Bruce Wayne. I think that is a role he was born to play. Um, I might also throw out John Hamm because John Hamm will always be my Batman pick. He's getting too old now, but I think who cares? Who cares? Yeah, he's not too old. Yeah, Ben Affleck wasn't too old. That's I think true. About the same age. That's true. Batman. Yeah, Batfleck. I'm sorry to use the proper term. Um, yeah, he, he was pushing the same place. 
Um, <laughs> please, Batfleck was my father. <laughs> please, call, call me Mr. Black. <laughs> um, uh, let's move. Let's move down the line to your next. The next part of your list. Yeah. So for Hawkwoman, I had Stephanie Beatrice, who um plays. Oh, now I've forgotten her name. Um, she's on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yes. And she plays the tough cop. Yes. I th- um, yes, I think that is a great choice. Thank you. Um, I think Rose, that's um, on the show. Uh, I'm fairly certain that uh, in the Justice League animated show, she was played by Carla Gugino. Oh, I did not know that. I think, who I think is Latina, but I'm not sure. But um, the way that she's usually drawn... Um, I felt like it was probably more appropriate for it to be a person of color. Absolutely. And I think this, I think that is a too white. So yeah, that is a, I think that's a great choice. Um, the justice league mortal cast didn't have a Hawk woman. So, um, I don't have much to add, but that's a great choice. Thank you. And she's got such range because she, she's on Brooklyn nine, nine and she played Mirabelle in Encanto. That's right. I haven't seen it yet, but oh, that's so good. I have a lot of things that I need to watch. I'm still watching Doom Patrol. <laughs> I just started watching Game of Thrones, so I'm very behind as well. Yeah. Um, let's let's move to Wonder Woman. Um, can you beat Gal Gadot? I I can't think of anyone else. I no, I don't think you can. It's one of the because like a lot of some characters have come up on this podcast when we're trying to cast them, where like you. You don't, you you don't know like the perfect person hasn't come yet, and like I don't think I can think of anyone better than than Gal Gadot to play Wonder Woman. I think she she does a very good job with what she's been given in the movies, and you you know I'm again these the DC movies are not my favorite, but <laughs> I liked. I liked what she was able to do with what she was given. Um, the Justice League Mortal um, ca- cast said it was going to be Megan Gale, and I don't know who oh, okay. that is. So I don't either. Uh, I thought it was going to be Megan Fox. I remember mm, reading an article, and that would be a horrendous choice. Yeah, I don't know if I'd like that. But um, yeah, Megan Gale is apparently a model and actress in Australia, I guess. Mm. Um, let's move on to Green Lantern. Yeah, I had uh, Wilder Vanderama, I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, um, Wil- Wilmer Valderrama, that, I think. Yeah, of that '70s show fame. Oh my uh, god, he played Fez on Fez. that. Fez, but he's a really, really good actor. Don't judge him. Oh just no, he's by... very good. He's very good. Yeah, I... I think he has a lot of like the charm to play Lantern. Yeah, and I think he'd do a really good job of that. I think, I think in this story. Um, the Green Lantern role can be filled by kind of any of them, except like Guy Gardner, maybe. Like, I think this yeah. could be Hal, this could be John, this could be Kyle Rayner. Because um, I will never I will never forget the Justice League mortal choice of Common as Jon Stewart. And I think that is a great pick, actually. I think that's, that's an interesting choice. I think yeah. he could pull it off. Um... I do have somebody for the Flash, so I am. Ooh, okay. I am gonna. I would like to go first on this. Before you jump to that, um, 
I hadn't even thought about casting other Green Lanterns. Oh, yes. Um, John is absolutely my Green Lantern because of the Justice League show. Because the animated show. He's mm-hmm. everyone's Green Lantern. And I think Ricky Whittle would be an awesome oh, Green Lantern. Oh, my God. That is... You You are right. Like, somebody to do it now? Like, I think that is a great choice. Yeah. Um, I... I so I, I first learned of this casting from Justice League Mortal, but it will always be my choice for Barry Allen. Um, Adam Brody. Adam Brody of the OC of a lot of things of Ready or Not. He played one of the uh, family members in there. Um, I'm not familiar with him. Uh, he, he's a character you. actor. Um he was in this movie recently that I watched, The Kid Detective, which is a um, it is a movie where he plays like an Encyclopedia Brown type kid detective who like is super good at what he does when he's a kid. But then like his best friend goes missing and everyone in the town starts to hate him. And so you follow him like in his 30s when he's very much like dejected and still running this detective agency that he run as a kid and it's so good it is one of my like favorite movies of the last year and a half or so and he could do it uh, but i do like your choice for the for barry allen thank you um yeah i have ben wishaw ben wishaw i think um, we just nail it he's <laughs> i i'm I love Ben Wishaw. I think he would make a great Barry Allen. I just can't get Paddington out of my head. <laughs> I just want to see a very nice and polite bear that can run at like supersonic speeds. Oh my god. That's fantastic. Um, could... So I only know him as Q um, from the James Bond movies. And so I didn't even know he was Paddington, but that is... I have to watch those movies now and is, imagine him as the Flash. He is the voice of Paddington. He is so he is so good at that. Um, I, I'm looking at your list here. The next one on the list is The Atom, Ray Palmer. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have picked a better choice, I think. Because you. you picked Alan Tudyk, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. one of the... Just a great character actor, just everything he he plays that type really well and i again another character that's in doom another actor that's in doom patrol where oh, he's he? he so he played he plays mr nobody who's like the main villain of season one but he's introduced as like the narrator of the first episode so he okay. spends the entire first episode making snarky comments about the uh, about the main characters that's awesome it's so good um he would make a great adam it's um, so hard to pick actors who haven't already played superheroes at this exactly point. Uh, um, for aquaman i had daniel craig i interesting i think this is this is an interesting choice i think he would be grumpy enough to play this Aquaman because this Aquaman is very much like I'm done with all you, you dry land people. You all suck. He is a um, he's yeah, not he's in a, the story very much, but he's a very jaded Aquaman who, like the Martian Manhunter, kind of fucks off for most of the story. Um, yeah. I will again go to the Justice League Mortal cast and shout out um Santiago Cabrera. Cabrera. Um, from 
heroes from he was Lancelot in Merlin, which I only watched a little bit of, but I really liked what he brought to the table. But I oh, think I like know this guy. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. He I think he can play that jaded energy a bit, too. Yeah. Um, um, Martian Manhunter. Martian... Um, I think uh, who because do... they don't have they don't have anyone for um, for Martian Manhunter in the Justice League Mortal cast. Let me find my go to pick while you talk about yours. Yeah, um, I have. So basically you're casting for voice. Because, you know, he's he's going to be a CG character or a makeup character. Um, so I have Lenny Henry, who is a fantastic British actor. Um, I probably should have looked up things that he was in to talk about him. Um, a bit I first. just looked him up. Um, he's going to be apparently in the Amazon Lord of the Rings series, I oh, guess. Oh, fantastic. Um, he, oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's a Shakespearean actor. Oh, this is perfect. He's really, really wonderful. Um, if you want a great voice performance of him, which is um, what... <laughs> this isn't what I was going to say, but he plays the shrunken head on the night bus in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh my god, that guy? Yeah, mind your head, and then it, everything squeezes in. Holy it's him. shit. Yeah, but if you want a really great voice performance... Um, uh, gonna find a way to bring up Neil again. Um, Neil Gaiman's um, uh, Anansi Boys. He does the audiobook, and he is so wonderful. Oh, he's funny. He good. does a great American accent. He does a great Caribbean accent. It, he is top notch. I would, I, because I have, I would also probably say, I think, maybe not now, but maybe in like a decade or so, I think uh, Yahya Abdul Mateen II could do it. Um, he was um, Black Manta in uh, the Aquaman movie. Oh, um, he was okay. also um, he was also Doctor Manhattan in the Watchmen TV series. Okay. Um, who like isn't Doctor Manhattan, but is like a person, a mask, Doctor Manhattan masquerading as somebody else. Oh. But it is he is like it, he is an actor who is. You who is used to that sort of character being very like kind of like I I just think he could do it very well. It, yeah, but like he's still kind of young. He's in his thirties. Maybe in like a decade or so, he could play that more older, jaded Martian Manhunter who turns invisible and leaves the story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the next person I had was Catwoman. Um, because there's so many characters in this book, you can't cast everyone. Um, but for Catwoman, I have, um, she is the companion on one of the newest seasons of Doctor Who. So she's very young, but I think maybe in a decade or so, she'd be really good. Her name is Mandip Gill. Oh my she, God. Yes. Okay. So she I, plays Yaz. I, <laughs> secret fact about me. I was a big Doctor Who fan for about a year of my life. Um, that's it right when um right when smith left and capaldi took over and then i sort of just stopped but i but i've been very interested in the newest like era and mm -hmm. specifically because of gill and her work gotcha yeah you should get into to doctor who it's great yeah 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you just fall in love with it and you want to devour everything about it. Yeah, <laughs> much like comics. Yeah, exactly. Um, do I you have a Catwoman? I don't think I do. I think that is a very. I think that is a really good choice. Um, sorry if I'm not bringing many many picks to the table, everyone. It's been a long week. <laughs> um, you, you could always bring back Halle Berry. That. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be, who would be a, Anne Hathaway or Halle Berry? Who would I rather bring back? This is a good. I actually haven't seen Halle Berry's Catwoman, but it's... I've I've heard that I that's okay. Well, she's not Selena Kyle. She is a different character. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, I have a Lois Lane. And this is an actress yeah. who is already playing Lois Lane right now on the CW series Superman and Lois. Oh, okay. Um, Elizabeth uh, Tulloch, I believe is how you pronounce her name. Um, she is, um, I think, like, again, this is because I like, I like Lois as a parent and an investigative hmm. reporter. I haven't seen much of the show, but I feel like she does... She could do it very well. Again, um, Tyler Hachlin, um, he is one of, I think he is a great Superman right now. Um, he really takes a lot of, like, the Silver Age Superman. There's that clip that went around where, like, a, he was interacting with a kid and, like, the kid was like, nice costume. And he was like, thanks, my mom made it for me. And that, <laughs> that is the Superman I want. Someone who just loves his family. Awesome. Um... <laughs> Um, so for my Lois, um, I have another Doctor Who pick. Um, so you will not know who she is, um, but she plays a character in uh, a Matt Smith episode called The God Complex in um, season six, I think. Okay, I do remember this. Oh, she was in she was in the Dar Darjeeling Limited. Okay, yes, so I know who this the, is. Okay, yeah, I think she's just she's really really great. Um, Doctor Who has a great reputation of like casting actors perfectly for the role so you just fall in love with them even though they probably have like seven minutes of screen time yeah i mean andrew uh, garfield was there yeah that's right that's i where, saw that I think that was one of his first roles too yes um so she's just she's fantastic she plays a character who's very very smart and very competent and she figures out the mystery like almost at the same time as the doctor um and I think she'd be a great Lois. Oh, great. Incredible. All right. Um, who do you have for your Jimmy Olsen? Who did I say last time we had to cast a Jimmy Olsen? I think I said... <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So that was specifically for like a younger Jimmy Olsen. And I think the, the picks that came up were... Um, I can't remember his name, but he... Um, is in a bunch of things. He's a young actor, I think, in his 20s. Um, Skyler something. I will get his name in a second. But I also said Michael Sarah, And, oh you know, it would be fun to watch him play against type. <laughs> uh, well, you look for that name. Um, I had Matt Bomer. Um, yeah. Because I, I think he's... I know him from White Collar, not from Doom Patrol, but he is so charming and so likable, and you, I think it would be a great like 
flip, and then I think he's got a lot of range. You need someone very charming. I think... Okay, the name Sky, Skylar Gisondo, I think is how you pronounce it. He was in things like Booksmart, um, Santa Clarita Diet, um, just a lot of things. He's 25 right now, so I don't think this is the Jimmy Olsen he could portray. Yeah. But maybe, in, again, it's one of those things that maybe in a couple of decades. <laughs> yeah. All right. Maybe. Yeah, I think that's every major, unless you have a Superman. Well... Actually, when I was talking to uh, my fiance, she said Oscar Isaac as Superman would be so good. And I was like, yeah, but I would want him to be in the movie more. So I think he'd be, make a good Batman. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I didn't really bother casting Superman. I would just say Henry Cavill because I think he, he's a great pick. I think he deserves a second chance. If that makes sense. Like, I... I... I he was one of he was my favorite part of like the Snyder movies I think like he was a very good choice again I think it's like Andrew Gar it's him and Andrew Garfield in the Amazing Spider-Man movies that sort of just got shafted by a bad script and a bad production cycle sure. and I think like we saw in No Way Home Andrew Garfield with, like, a good script and just getting to do whatever he wants. I think Henry Cavill needs something like that. Mm. Maybe in the Flash movie, because they're basically just doing No Way Home What's going to happen? What's up with this Flash movie? I I don't know. I, am, I haven't been paying attention. <laughs> I have not been. But you know what? I am going in blind to this one, and I am going to be blissfully ignorant, and I am okay with that. Uh, thank you, Cole, for joining me on thank this you. episode. Um, I think we have you on schedule to come back sometime in uh, Halloween. Yeah. To talk something spooky. Oh, <laughs> but yes, thank you for thank you for coming onto the podcast. Um, yeah. Thank you all for listening, and remember, you must always save Martha. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> until october jackson you know how i think we did on this uh episode how i think we nailed it okay we're keeping that in yes we're keeping that in yes Okay, we're coming back to this. Um, Cole just threw threw something at me. Um, Cole has his own segment that he'd like to bring to the table. Cast the Muppet verse. Okay, I didn't think of a good name for it. Okay, so 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 walk me through this. Um, so pick a character in this to replace with a Muppet. That's 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 the game here. Yes, it's the opposite of the the game where you have a movie, you pick one actor, everybody else is Muppets. Pick one character and and put in a Muppet. I got it. I got mine. Okay. What is it? Um replace Jimmy Olsen with Gonzo. <laughs> Don't you want to see an angry Gonzo? <laughs> That's so funny because mine was Gonzo for Flash. Hey, hey. Because 
Don't you just want to see Gonzo run really fast? I think it's very fun to watch any puppet move very fast. <laughs> um, being like... You can't see what I'm doing, but I'm flailing. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Um... Okay, now we actually have to end the episode. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Gonzo Nation, rise up. Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman's theme music was written by Charlotte Rosenthal. Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman is produced by Mythonomica Productions. Thank you for listening.